You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders podcast as we get you ready for the Seahawks Monday night football game against the Atlanta Falcons. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for your Seattle Seahawks, joined by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hey, Jen. How are you? I am doing pretty well. Thank you, John. And Aaron Johannes, also from Seahawks.com. Salam. Hey, that, all right. Wow. That's uh, for those that don't know. That is basically greeting in Tigrinya, which is the language that I speak of being an Eritrean. So. Yeah, I forgot. I decided to switch it up a little bit. I today. like it. Yeah, this is an educational podcast. Yeah. Today. So now you're gonna have to tell me what the appropriate response is back. So you could just say you could just say you could just say it back to me. Most people just say salam, and then you could just say salam back to them. Okay. Pretty nice salam. greeting. Yeah. Nice. I like it. We are multifaceted today when we are having these conversations. <laughs> we've got cultural, we've got greetings, but we should probably be talking about the Seahawks. And guys, I got to be honest with you. When the Seahawks finished that game in Arizona last week, I know that the score indicated it was a win. I know that everyone counts and it doesn't matter how you get there. But I said it after the game. The score says one thing. My heart says another. You and, know, it, it was kind of hard to to rectify both of those. And I you guess. felt that in the locker room. Yes, as well. you did. Normally, you go into that locker room after a road win, especially division win. Like they're going to be pumped up. Music's going to be playing. It's going to be a excited group. It was. I mean, I'm not saying it was like depressing or anything, but it was quiet. It was just you know guys processing because. I mean, any game guys get beat up, and they understand that. But when a guy of Richard Sherman's status, they all knew by the time we were in that locker room that he was done for the year. That's tough. I mean, that's just not not just the fact of like, okay, we have to finish playing the season without Richard Sherman. Just knowing what everything, you know, just per- what that is for him personally. Yes. You know, just that loss of this is a guy that's never missed a football game. Yes. Has started every game, playoffs included, since the middle of the 2011 season. So just they're hurting for him just because they're not thinking, oh, we're in trouble. They're hurting for him knowing that this is going to be hard on him to go through. You know, and I'm glad you pointed that out because I, I finished doing all of those interviews and I get on the bus and I think it was even you, John, that I was saying something to. It's like that didn't go the way that I I would have thought. Everything just felt a little bit um, disjointed and almost disassociated from what had happened in the game. And it wasn't just Richard Sherman. It was dealing with the number of guys who had been hurt during the course of the game. And I know that the numbers do not show that there are additional injuries on Thursday night. But I would challenge anybody to go into a locker room after a Thursday night game and tell me that there is not a difference when you have a short week of rest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those guys, even if the numbers don't dictate, you know, however you classify an injury, just the the toll just being beat up and what what they go through that week to get to that game, it's it's hard on them. They're not the same physically on a Thursday. I mean, most of those guys say – they don't feel right after a Sunday game till Thursday or Friday, and that's right to be out there practicing, not be playing full speed game action. So it's it takes a toll on those guys, and and then when guys do start getting hurt, you know they they start to wonder. Yeah, the, the recovery process of that is so interesting to me with football players because in basketball, when I was covering the NBA, it's literally like the next night, right? Mm-hmm. And you're traveling and you're. Um, going to practice and shoot around the next day, but with football, it's just such a physical sport, and to have that that quick of a turnaround when your body is going through so much of that physically compared to like basketball, that's I give so much credit to these guys to be able to to turn around and go through that 
just throughout the week and consistently throughout the year because that's a lot just in a regular week. Yes. And then you have it on a condensed week on top of that. That's, I can't even imagine that. No. And, and I think they, they do a good job of downplaying that going into the game, but after the game, they did not uh, hold anything back in saying that that's got to be something that they take a look at during the next collective bargaining agreement and, and try to get changed. So we know what happened as a result of that game. The Seahawks do win, which is really important for their playoff standings and their playoff kind of positioning as it stands right now. But let's talk about where this actually leaves the team. And I know the conversation needs to start with Richard Sherman because he really has defined what a shutdown cornerback is in the league and for the Seahawks. But where is the team at right now, guys? Honestly, this is – I think I was – I forgot who I was talking to the other day. But this is a really important time right now in the season. Not only just because it's obviously the stretch run, but you look at the NFC West division and the Rams are right there on top of the division. And then you look at – this the NFC Conference in general. The NFC Conference right now is stacked. And, it's, and there are so many teams that are in play right now for wild card positions and division races. And it's, it's really a tough challenge right now towards the end of the season. So right now I look at this and I'm saying, man, this is – this is going to be a really tough challenge. And, of course, looking at the schedule ahead, you got Philadelphia coming up. Um, I can't remember some of the other teams. But just there's a lot of tough teams coming up. I mean, Jacksonville, I think right away, like a road match in Jacksonville on the East Coast, an early game. An early game. That I mean, one's going to be a tough one. Yeah, that, that defense is rolling, man. That's that, huge. That so, could be a tough one. Yeah, that's Jacksonville right there. So, I mean, it's it's when you look at the schedule right now and where this team is at right now, it's this, this is when things are going to start to turn up a lot more. Well, and the Seahawks have an opportunity on Monday night against an Atlanta team that has not bounced back after their Super Bowl appearance quite well. Before we get into the specific matchups, John, we know that Richard Sherman's not there. What does this actually mean for the personnel groupings and who we're going to see? Yeah, you know, it sounds like we're going to see Jeremy Lane plug into that role. Um, you know, obviously, Shaq took over the starting role at right corner, and they really like what they've gotten at Justin Coleman in the nickel spot. So I would think we're going to see those three. They did bring Byron Maxwell back, as everyone knows, and he's a guy who's been a starter here. Um, it might be a little much to ask him to just jump in and play a ton right off the bat, you know, new team, and been out been out for a couple weeks since he got cut. But they do feel good, you know, all things considered, to lose Richard Sherman and still have those guys available to him. Maybe Deshaun Shedd in a few weeks, we'll see. But they, they still have a lot of depth there. Now, it's interesting that that – that particular position is valuable as Richard Sherman is. I don't think it'll change schematically what they do. You know, it's still going to be very similar. It's just, you know, how do those guys hold up? And, you know, especially when it's, this is not a soft landing, so to speak. You jump in with Julio Jones and in that passing attack, you know, reigning MVP at quarterback. So uh, it's, it's going to be tough, but again, they, they feel pretty good about the guys they have stepping in. And the numbers are down for Julio Jones, for Matt Ryan, for the Falcons and their offense in general. And Richard Sherman, while his presence on the field will certainly be missed, Sherman underwent successful surgery on his Achilles this week in Green Bay. And Pete said he's already talking about coming back and embracing that role as a teacher even more. Uh, Sherman has, has always been really um, like the first guy to step to the, the calling of the new guy. And uh, he's always been there for him. He's been the, uh, the guy that will sit with him, talk with him, have lunch with him, stay on the field after practice. It's kind of the arm around mentoring type of an approach um, that he's always um, understood. I don't remember the first year or so when it, you know, I'm sure it didn't happen the same then. But uh, he has always understood that role and, um, and he's cherished that role, really. He's t- more, maybe more so than anybody around here. He is 
expressed you know a willingness to want to go the extra step or two to, to make sure that he can connect with the guys and see him through and he, he likes the part of cheerleading for guys and rooting for the young guys and stuff like that he's always been uh, really out you know outward in that regard and it's been a very cool way that he you know, he presents himself now if we were only talking about Richard Sherman not being on the field on Monday night that would be one thing but it appears that we could have another member of the Legion of Boom who's not back there what does this mean for that secondary yeah we don't know yet for sure but Cam Chancellor did have the singer come up in the last game and, and they're not sure on his status yet so uh, obviously that's never good news if you lose him the, the good thing is they went out and signed Bradley McDougal this offseason knowing they wanted to get better depth at safety. And this is a guy who was a two-year starter in Tampa, Bl- Tampa Bay, really good player for the Bucks. And in this this uh, coaching staff and front office, they were really excited when they got him, more, more so than you might normally expect for a guy who doesn't project as a starter when they added him. This wasn't a big, splashy you know, acquisition necessarily, but they knew that he was a guy that could really help them. They liked his versatility. We've seen him start two games in a row and play really well for Earl Thomas. And now... If need be, he's going to jump in right in and play strong safety, and they, they feel good about him. You know, Pete Carroll referred to him as kind of an unsung hero, a guy who's been one of their better special teams players, just a really kind of under-the-radar signing at the time who's paying dividends for him. Yeah, it, uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that shapes out. And, Aaron, what are the numbers kind of telling you about where this defense is and how they've been able to weather – I think kind of an up-and-down season for them. You're talking about Atlanta or Seattle? Seattle's defense. Oh, okay. Because it's been a little bit up-and-down for them, right? I mean, it, yeah. they, they are very stout at certain times, and then they've allowed some explosive plays. Yeah. What are we seeing just in an overall trend? I think what's interesting is that we looked at the beginning of the season, and I think uh, – I can't remember off the top of my head what the, the long plays – I think you mentioned it in the last pod, John, with, uh, with the running backs. Yeah, after Carlos Hyde in week two, and then DeMarco Murray week three. Both those guys had – yeah. Big games pretty much off one run each. Yeah, and and now you look at the last few weeks. I mean, Adrian Peterson had, what, close to – he had tw- over 21, 21 carries. 21 and, carries for 29 yards. Yeah, and that's like one of the lowest totals he's had for his entire career. So, I mean, things have changed a lot in terms of, like, the run defense and um, as the season has gone on a lot. And, I mean, getting Sheldon Richardson back last week certainly helped mm-hmm. as well, and he was able to add a lot to that too. But I think there's just been a lot of progression, and I think – especially when it comes to stopping the run, there's been a lot of progression. The secondary, obviously injuries have factored in, and I think there might be, I don't know, it might be a little bit of a bump in production, but I think as the stretch run comes, I think things will be able to be okay because you're going to get Earl back. Obviously, we might get him back this week, um, and if Cam is obviously being able to return as well, and even if he isn't, I mean, Bradley's been able to be pretty solid. I think Bradley had a pretty solid game last week against Arizona too, so I think that will be all right, and as a, the end of the season comes, this would be a, I think this would be a bigger test now for the secondary more than um, the beginning of the season. So that would be interesting to watch. It's also going to be interesting to watch just the communication of that unit. When I talked to Bobby Wagner this week, he is one of the defensive captains. And you know, I was asking how much this changes. You know, Sherm's not in there. Cam's not there. What does he have to do? More from a leadership perspective. And he says, I got to make sure that I'm doing things that we haven't done in a long time communicating certain checks at the line of scrimmage. You know, when, when you see the offense doing stuff, they, for so many years, those guys have played together that all I have to do is give a little nod. Sometimes I don't even have to look at the guys behind me. I know that they're seeing the same thing because we have played together so long. We've got such a base of knowledge. And he said, now I have to know what everybody's doing around me. I didn't have to know what the safety was doing before. 
because they were just going to take care of it. Now I have to be able to give those instructions. So this week of practice is huge for going back to just having that communication on every single play and not taking for granted that the people around you are seeing the same thing. And we saw a little bit of that last year. You know, some of the big plays they gave up when Cam Chancellor was Mm -hmm. out and then when Earl was out. So and maybe, you know, that might be something that helps them going through a similar experience this time is it maybe it was kind of a little bit of an eye opener of, okay, we really got to be on it when one person's not back there. Cause I mean, those guys, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor played together since 2010, Richard Sherman since 11, those linebackers 11 and 12. So they've all been together a long, long time. So yeah, they, it is different when you suddenly plug somebody else in. And I mean, the good news, again, we're talking about whether it's Jeremy Lane, Byron Maxwell, those guys know what they're doing too. It's just, they don't have quite the experience with that group. So, you know, I think that overall they'll be able to handle it pretty well, but it does change some things. Yeah. Maxwell today and talking to him a little bit, he said, yeah, you know, I remember what I'm doing, but I I, got to have a little bit of reinforcement just as a, you know, just to be sure. He also mentioned, John, you said he's been on, on the couch for a little while and a couple weeks and, uh, he actually admitted to being a little sore after practice on Monday. <laughs> he goes, it's not like I haven't been working out, but man, you don't make the same moves when you're just working out at home. So uh, he is expecting to play a cornerback, but uh, I would expect some limited snaps for him as the Seahawks get him back in order. Now, limited snaps for running backs. Perhaps not the best transition, but what I was going yeah, with there we'll is they have not it. run would... the ball as much. But this week, we've got a different-looking running backs core. Again, guys, what are we looking at, and what do we know about Mike Davis, Aaron? Yeah, Mike Davis, I'm really excited about him. I liked him a lot in the preseason, and obviously Pete said earlier this week that they liked him a lot in the preseason and in camp. And, uh, you know, he's he's a really interesting back because he, he had a pretty good preseason debut. I just think um, that the running back position was – pretty loaded this year coming out of camp, you know, with CJ, Thomas, uh, JD as well, obviously getting 80, 80 in that mix too. Um, and it was kind of tough for Mike Davis to kind of get him a spot, so he had to go on the practice squad. But now he's able to get his opportunity with CJ um, going to IR. And I think this is going to be a good opportunity for him if he's able to get in. Obviously, he has to work behind Thomas and behind 81st. But I'm excited for him. I think, I think Mike Davis has been – I mean, he's obviously fresher than all these guys because he hasn't been in the games yet. But, you know, when you have a fresh guy like him and he's been able to play in the league a few years now, last year with San Francisco, um, he's, he's run the ball well and he's been able to do some things. And we saw some of that in, pre- in the preseason too. So I'm, pretty, I'm actually pretty excited to see a little bit of Mike Davis if we're able to this weekend. You mentioned Eddie Lacy. He is back at practice this week for the Seahawks after missing that Thursday night game with a groin injury. But, John, I think the question when you take a look at running backs is I, I don't know if it matters who's in there, at least it hasn't up to this point, is there any one thing that can make the run game just turn on a dime? I don't know. The, yeah, I guess it's hard to say if there's one thing because I think if there were just one thing, we They would have figured it out by exactly. now, right? Yeah. Um, I do, to your point of it, may not matter who's in there. I, I agree with that in that, it, you know, it's not like one guy's going to fix it, but what could make a difference is if one guy gets a shot to – which is what they wanted to do with Eddie Lacy before the injuries. Let's take a long look at one guy and see how it goes. And then he gets hurt and then you're scrambling again. So I don't know, you know, we don't know yet how, you know, he said, Pete Carroll said that he's going to play, but you know, is he full go? Can he get the full snaps? So maybe this is the game he gets going. Maybe they've tried to lean on Thomas Rawls. I, you know, remains to be seen kind of how that shakes out, but I, I you know, whatever it takes, for this offense to be its best, they got to get something going. It you know doesn't need to just be a dominant run game, but it, it needs to be 
a little more productive than has been. They have not rushed the ball or attempted more than 30 rushes in a game in the last three games going back to the Giants. That's when they had 31 carries in that game for 104 yards. They've only topped that 30 mark three times this season. So you know that Pete would like to get that going just a little bit more. What else do we know about the offense going into that break? Because there were a lot of guys who looked really tired and Doug Baldwin dealing with some injuries. What else do we know about the offense as we kind of reset here against the Falcons? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, going back to the the running game and the circles they've had. Again, they want to be balanced, but what we've seen is what they do best right now is Russell Wilson making things happen, particularly with Doug Baldwin, Paul Richardson, and Jimmy Graham, who suddenly has become the red zone threat everyone was hoping and expecting mm-hmm. him to be when they made that trade. So, um, you know, Six that, touchdowns in the last five, five games. games. Yeah, which is tied for yeah. the league lead in red zone touchdown yep. receptions. So um, that part is going very well. Russell Wilson is playing incredibly well, not just in terms of you know the, the plays he's making, but what's being asked of him because they're struggling to run the game. I mean, he has been... He's their leading rusher. He's been, you know, he's accounted for so much offense, and so far he's shouldering that load very well. 12 of his 17 touchdown passes have come in the fourth quarter when you talk about Russell Wilson shouldering that load. Actually, one thing I actually really wanted to jump on since we were talking about the offense, I wanted to give some credit to somebody that I think he needs to get some credit, and he mm-hmm. hasn't. I need to give some credit to Paul Richardson. I really think Paul Richardson has had a really good year this year, and I think, I mean, when you look at, like, the production that he's had, um, just in, in the quantity, the quality that we've been able to get from him in the games. I mean, like last year, last week he had one catch for 40 yards. But it was a huge catch, right? It was a and huge catch. And then the week catch, before yeah. that, he had three three catches for 41 yards. But the the quality of play we've gotten from Paul Richardson this year has been really good. And I, I don't think a lot of people have given enough credit for how good he's been this year. And being able to stay on the field, which was always kind of one of the yeah. things that you'd get him for a few days yep. or a few games, but not able to get him for the entire season. Yeah. And I mean, like, like, like I said, like that catch last week was huge for 43 yards. And I mean, just this year in general, he's really been able to come through and play some, I, th- I think he's been playing really good as a vertical threat for them. And just in this offense a lot. So, Question now is, what does this offense look like against a Dan Quinn-coached Atlanta Falcons defense who the numbers and the productivity are down this year? No question from where they were last year, but Dan Quinn said this is about the time of year that chemistry starts to play a role and the defense comes together. They start flowing a little better. What does this mean for the Seahawks on Monday night? Uh, they're going to have their hands full. I mean, that that was probably the best game Atlanta's played on defense all year and their win over the Cowboys last week. I mean, the, the obvious number is the six sacks that Claiborne had, but he's not even, you know, on paper their best pass rusher because that's the first team all pro on the other side, Vic Beasley. <laughs> that's that's a very athletic, young defense, a lot of really good guys flying around. You know, we talked a lot last year about Keanu Neal kind of being the, the Cam Chancellor mm-hmm. type in that defense. They And we all know what a good defensive coach Dan Quinn is. So they're going to make it tough on the Seahawks, and, I mean, to me, it it all has to start with just getting that protection right. Because if if you let Claiborne and Beasley get going, you can't function as an offense if those guys are getting to the quarterback. It wasn't even Beasley last week that was doing the exactly. damage in the backfield either. It was Don Terry Poe and Brooks Reed who also recorded a sack. That's to go with nine tackles for loss by that defense. And Dan Quinn talked about just how you have to defend every play from Russell Wilson. It's like a two-part play. You've got to defend what the look actually is and then what the play becomes when it becomes that playground play. But if anybody can coach that, it's certainly 
Dan Quinn. Right, it is. And, I mean, I, I obviously wasn't here for the Dan Quinn era, but, you know, when you look at the players and how much respect they have for him and how they – I mean, they understand a lot of the things that he's doing as well too. So I think that that's probably going to be – that's probably the thing I'm looking forward to the most is just, once again, just seeing how players, like, on our, in Seattle at least, on offense try to scheme for – Somebody that they're familiar with, especially Russell, for an example. So, um, I mean, that de- and that defense is so talented. Just beyond like, the guys that we already mentioned. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still Deion Jones. There's Desmond Trufant. There's so much mm-hmm. talent on that team that they can use on defense in so many different ways, too. When you talk about the familiarity of folks in Seattle with the coaching staff, it's not just Dan Quinn. It's Steve Sarkeesian who runs the offense. Now, the offense last year for the Falcons, one of the reasons that it was one of the best in the NFL is they were averaging over 33 points a game. That number has dropped to 21. The Seahawks actually average more points than that. The defense by the Seahawks allows just 18 points a game. So I, I think that this is also kind of one of those. I wonder if those numbers continue to be on the downhill slide for Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and some of those other guys. Yeah, I mean, when you look at what Matt Ryan did last year, it, it would almost seem that some regression would be inevitable just because of how good he was. Um, but I, I do think by the end of the year, that offense is going to look a lot better than what we've seen so far out of them. You know, losing a coordinator is hard, especially one as good as Kyle Han- Shanahan, who obviously is a head coach now in San Francisco. Um, you know, there, there's been maybe some growing pains, even though they didn't totally overhaul it. But then Dan Quinn talked a little bit about just some of the things that, you know, they think are pretty fixable third down, stuff we hear about here mm-hmm. too, third down, red zone, things like that. So the defense hasn't been getting the ball as often with turnovers, which then affects your offense uh, in terms of field position, opportunities to score, all that. So um, the numbers aren't there. I, I still don't look at that offense and think, oh, they're, you know, no problem. They're, right. You know, they're struggling. No, that's that's still a very talented group capable of doing good things. It does, in fact, make me even more happy, though, that the Seahawks are playing that game at CenturyLink, Ooh. and they are so incredibly good in primetime games, on, <laughs> especially on Monday night. Last question for you guys as we wrap it up, and this just goes big picture. I think sometimes we overlook the amount of coaching and focus and dedication goes into making sure that you come back and are able to compete at a high level year after year. We've talked about the Super Bowl hangover in different years. The Seahawks came through it and they made it back to the playoffs after both of their Super Bowl appearances, right? In what we're seeing from Atlanta, the fact that they've lost four of their last five games, can we give even more credit to Pete and John and all of those guys for keeping this Seahawks team right where they're at? Absolutely. And, I mean, it's not Atlanta's the latest example, but we've seen it, whether it was Carolina last year, just so many teams – it's really hard. And Pete Carroll always makes this point. It's not just hard to come back from losing the Super Bowl. It's hard to it's come hard back to from winning, winning it. And for a lot of reasons, and there's the very tangible things of you lose a coordinator, as we saw for Atlanta, and the Seahawks have lost two defensive coordinators. You lose free agents because all of a sudden guys that are you know not, not bad players but maybe get a little overvalued by the league because they saw them on a Super Bowl team. So it's, it's hard to retain talent. And then just – your, your season went longer. You have all these extra media obligations. There's just this constant spotlight on you where guys don't get to catch their breath. It all adds up, and it's hard to come back from. And the fact that this team, even in kind of their off years recently, wins 10, 11 games, gets to divisional round. Of play. I mean, five straight years getting at least to the divisional round and 10-plus wins, that's 
very remarkable. I mean, that's you're talking about basically only There's only New three England. teams. It's, yeah. Oh, and Green Bay, but that streak is in jeopardy yeah. at this point, yeah. too. It's, I just I thought it was interesting considering that Dan Quinn went through that with Pete yeah. Carroll. You can't <laughs> just go to another team and replicate that. No. no. And, I mean, they, the way they responded against Dallas last week made me think that that team is, you know, they're probably going to trend in the right direction versus falling apart after losing three or four. So I, I think Atlanta's still going to be in the discussion when this year ends. But uh, it's it's hard to do. And, yeah, I think – one of the more underrated things about what this group of Pete Carroll and Josh has done is just the ability to keep winning through all the d- different issues that come up. And we have come up to the end of our Seahawks Insider Podcast for this week. The Seahawks play the Falcons Monday night at CenturyLink Field. For John and Aaron, I'm Jen Mueller. We will see you back here next week on another edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. 